All right, well, good evening. Good to see you guys tonight. Uh, we're in the book of 1 Peter still. book of 1 Peter is where we're at tonight. Uh, how can we be a witness for Christ in a hostile world? How can we be a witness for Christ in a hostile world? That's what we're looking at this evening as we continue our series, uh, Exiles. And so if you remember, Peter's writing to a people who uh, live in a particular area, but, but, they are, but they are referred to as elect exiles of the dispersion. And, and they're in these many different places there. He tells us there are Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. I mean, they're all in these different places, but they're exiles. They, this, this world is, is not their home. And we're going to continue to look at that theme tonight as we continue in 1 Peter. Chapter 2 is where we're at. We're looking at verses 11 through 17. 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 through 17. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read that. Then we'll pray. And then we will dive in to the text and unpack that. Beginning of verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you would put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this evening and this opportunity to gather again as your church, God, to open your word and to learn from it. And God, as we do, we, we pray that you would help us to understand how we might be a witness for you in a hostile world. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before ministry, uh, I worked in sales as a sales associate at two different companies. And the first company that I worked for was a company by the name of Beyond, and they sell telecommunications, uh, voice over IP. Um, they had like T1 connections and things like that. And so basically they sell you internet and they sell you phone packaged into one service. And as I was looking for a, a job, I was looking for a place that was going to provide me with, with excellent training. And, and CBON was known in the industry to provide excellent training, particularly when it comes to their sales associates. And um, I'd have to agree. You know, for over a month, they spent time training us. They spent time in the classroom setting for two weeks. We basically went through all the different materials. We learned uh, all about their product. We had all of these kind of mock training sessions and, and mock sales calls and things like that. They kind of they put us through the ringer there prior to sending us out. And then, and then once we got out of that, out of the two weeks of just this intense classroom training, they sent us out into the field and they sent us with, you know, a senior sales associate who, who would come alongside of us, who would help us understand how we were to interact with the different customers and clientele, how we were supposed to answer the questions and things like that that they might have of us. And that's really what is important when it comes to sales, right? You have to know how to react to the situations in which you find yourself in, in order to, to get the sale. And that is similar to what Peter is, is telling us here 
tonight. No, Peter is not training some, you know, biblical sales force um, to go out and sell voiceover IP services or anything like that. Uh, But Peter does want us to know how we are to react to the situations that we find ourselves in, that we are experiencing. And so what what were they experiencing? Well, the people there, they were experiencing persecution. He wants them to know, how might you react to persecution? And the persecution that they were experiencing was mainly because they were different than their neighbors. You see, they, they, they kind of, they, they didn't participate in pagan worship. They didn't live a, a licentious lifestyle like uh, those around them lived. They, they actually loved and, and cared for one another. And in those ways and more, they were different than their surrounding community. And, and the community really didn't know how to take that. They didn't know how to handle them. They didn't know how to, how to react to these people who lived so differently than they did. And so they ostracized them. They, they called them names. They persecuted them and at times even physically attacked them. And seeing this happen, Peter writes to help them to understand how are they supposed to react to the situation that they find themselves in, the hostile situation in which they are living. And, and Peter's counsel is, is certainly different than, than what we might experience, right? If, you, if you're facing a hostile uh, situation, you might expect someone to say, you know, you need to go on the defensive. Or you might expect someone to say, you, you might need to go on the offensive and just wipe those people out that you think are going to come against you, you think that are going to hurt you before they even have a chance to hurt you. Well, Peter doesn't give any of this counsel at all. Instead, Peter calls them to live distinct lives. So let's look at verse 12. He gives us this command here. Keep your conduct honorable. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And the day of visitation here is what he's talking about is when, when Jesus returns. And so he's saying he wants them to keep their conduct honorable so that when Jesus returns, they might be ones who glorify God. And Peter tells them that they must live honorable lives in order for this to take place. Lives that, that, that people speak well of, uh, lives that, that, that speak for themselves, lives that would contradict what the people were actually saying about them. And the hope is that in doing this, they're actually going to win some people to Christ. And this tells us then that along with our words, our actions certainly play a huge role when it comes to missions. It's what undergirds our speech, and it is often what intrigues unbelievers to ask us, like, why? Why, 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 why do you believe what you believe? Why are you different than me? You know, we, we go through the same situations, but, but it seems like you're going through that situation with more hope and more joy than I have. I'm falling into depression here. Why are you facing this situation with hope? It causes people to come and to ask why. Why are you facing this situation differently than I am? And as we, as we move more into a, a secular world, the world in which we are living is secularizing at a, at a rapid pace. Um, we live outside of a major metropolitan area, just in a suburb of that here in Red Oak. Um, major, major metropolitan areas are, are moving towards secularization at a rapid pace. And Dallas is no different. I mean, it is still Texas. It is still the South. It is still somewhat conservative, but it is moving in that direction quickly, which means that, that the way that believers live and the way that non-believers live, there's going to be clear distinction. There already is, 
But, but that distinction is going to be even clearer as we move forward. And so living in a way that is different than our society, it, it causes them to ask why. But then it also gives us credence to the words that we are speaking. If we are telling them that Jesus is the one who will change you, Jesus is the one who is going to change your life, we must live as if our life has been changed. Or they're going to look at us and they're going to say, you know what, you don't live any different than I do. And, and sadly, this was a case for me at one time when I was in, in college. I had this guy that I hung out with all the time. This guy was an avowed atheist. Um, and this other guy who we hung out with was an atheist as well. And, and we would often get into these conversations about, about Christianity, about religion. Um, I would preach the gospel to him. I would tell him what I believed. I would tell him that I believed in Jesus as my Savior. He should do that. The whole thing, all the time. We would talk about this all the time. And, and as we we're talking about this one day, you know, he, he says, man, why should I believe what you're saying? You, you don't live any different than I do. And that was true. I didn't live any different than he did. And that was convicting to me. You know, there was definitely a time in my life when, when I wasn't living for the Lord in the way that I should be living. Even though I was preaching the gospel and even though I was telling other people about Jesus, it had really no impact on this guy because he didn't see a difference. And so there must be a difference in our life. There must be a difference in the way that we live. We must live distinct lives. And we must tell others why our life is different. Now, now living our lives for Christ is not always easy, especially in a hostile world. There's a real temptation for us just to, to go with the culture, right? It's the easy thing to do. And so how? You know, how can we continue to live distinct lives so that others see a difference and they glorify Christ? I'm going to give you, give you five ways that we can do that tonight. First, in order to live distinct lives and to be a witness for Christ in a hostile world, we can't forget that this world isn't our home. We can't forget that this world is not our home. So look at verse 11 with me. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. I know that many of you, if not, if not all of you, own a home. I know that many of you have lived in this community for, for a long period of time, if not your entire life. Some of you own a business. Some of you might even own some land. Many of you know a lot of people in town. You're well-connected with people. You have roots in this particular community. Even though that is the case, even though we live in Red Oak, doesn't mean that, that this is our home per se. Right? He wants us to see here that we are sojourners and we are exiles, that our home is in another kingdom, that our home is in the kingdom to come. And it's important that we, that we understand that. It's important that we understand that we are citizens of God's kingdom and that, that Jesus will come back one day to establish this kingdom and we will be a part of that kingdom so that we will not hold a grip on the things in this world so tightly. You see, we, we all have seen in the news recently, in, in the last several years, where different business owners have been attacked for their beliefs, have been attacked for standing on God's word and for what God's word has to say. They've been taken to court. Many of them have been sued. They, they've lost a number of things. They've lost their business. They, they've lost a lot of money. They've lost their status in that community. And that might be the case for us as well at some point. We do live in a conservative town, no doubt. We do live in a conservative area. We live in Texas. It's 
very conservative. This is the buckle of the Bible belt. But that does not mean that, that persecution cannot come to those who are Christians. That doesn't mean that, that the laws can't change in a couple of years. That doesn't mean that we might not face the same thing that those in other parts of this country are facing even now. And so we must be willing, we must hold our possessions loosely. We must not hold them with a tight grip because we must be willing to give those up for Christ in case we are called to take a stand for Christ in this world. And so we don't, we don't pull away from this world. We invest in this world because after all, we, we are called to reach the lost, right? I mean, we are called to be on mission for Jesus. And so we must in, invest in this world. We don't, we don't go and get in some holy huddle somewhere. We don't go and build our own community somewhere and say, hey, this is us. This is who we are. Uh, you, you can come and be a part of this if you want to be a part of this, but we're going to remain distinct over here. We're going to remain different over here. We're going to have our own community that you can't really be a part of. We are to remain distinct and different, but we are to remain distinct and different as we live in society, as we live in this world for Christ. And in doing so, we might be a witness for Christ, even in a hostile world. Second, we learn in order to live distinct lives and be a witness for Christ in a hostile world, we must do battle with our fleshly desire. We must do battle with our fleshly desires. Again, starting in verse 11, Peter says this, and we'll read down to verse 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So we are told to, to abstain. We are told to abstain from, from the passions of the flesh. We are told to keep our conduct honorable here among the Gentiles. But these commands that, that we're given here are not, do not come in a vacuum. Peter's not just telling us to, to pull up our bootstraps and to try harder. You need to abstain from these things. You, you need to, to wage war against your flesh, he's going to tell us here. He doesn't tell us this in a vacuum. Instead, what does he do? He reminds us of the gospel. This is where the idea of the, the sojourners and exiles come in. You know, we are citizens of another kingdom. And the way that we entered into that other kingdom is through Jesus. It is through Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. And because of our belief in him, we are transferred into this other kingdom. And Peter wants us to understand that. He wants us to understand that before he gives us this command, he tells us that we are citizens of another kingdom, that this world is not our home, and that, that we are to change through the power of the gospel. We have the ability to th change through the power of of the gospel. And so when, when Peter tells us that we are to abstain to keep our conduct honorable, he doesn't mean that we do it on our own. He does not mean that we do it in our own power. Instead, he is telling us that we must rely on Jesus as well as he is motivating us through the gospel. We are sojourners. We are exiles. In other words, we are a part of this other kingdom. And we must be thankful for that. We must be, be motivated out of a sense of gratitude to live for Christ to live for Christ in this world. And so it's not about us trying harder. It's not about us pulling up our bootstraps and just mustering up in our own will. It's about us focusing on the gospel. It is about us meditating on what Christ has done for us. It's about us remembering what Jesus has done for us. It's about that motivating us out of a sense of gratitude and out of the sense of ability to now live for God. We are to go out in this world 
And we are to live as he calls us to live. We are to sustain. And so every single day we get up and we are prepared to do battle with our sinful desires. There's this, there's this war that he says that, that is taking place within us. And so we must get up every single day ready to do the battle. How do we do that? What are the weapons that God gives us in order for us to do battle against our flesh? Well, we fight the flesh using what we refer to as the means of grace. And the means of grace are, are these, these weapons, these gifts that God has given us to fight against our flesh. They're not necessarily spiritual gifts, but these are gifts that God has given us. What are those gifts that God has given us? Well, he's given us his word. He's given us prayer. He's given us Christian community. He's given us the ability to hear the preached word. He has given us the ability to participate in the ordinances, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Through all of these means, we encounter God. We learn more about who God is. We are reminded about how he wants us to live in the world. He tells us what sin is and how it destroys the fabric of this world. Through these means of grace, we are reminded of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. We learn more about God's plan and how he has dealt with sin and how we can experience redemption and reconciliation. We learn, we are reminded of all of these things and more as we use the means of grace. And by employing these means, we, we actively wage war against the flesh, which should result in our conduct being honorable among the Gentiles. And the key here, though, is that, that we must be active, never forgetting that we're in a war. Soldiers, when they walk into war, they don't, they don't forget that they're in war. They know that they're in war. There are bullets flying by them. There's enemy attacks all of the time. They don't forget that they're in war. They long to come home to get out of that war. And we must do the same. We, we cannot forget that we are actively in a war. We are waging war against our flesh and we are to use these means of grace in order to do that. That's why it is important that we read the Bible. That's why it's important that, that this year and, and probably every year after this, we're gonna have a Bible reading plan that we go through as a church. And we're going to provide that to you in any means possible so that you might dive into Scripture as a group and read God's Word. And then hopefully if you read that plan together, then you can come together and you can talk about what you've been reading. You can participate in this, this Christian community with one another. Hopefully as, as you read through Scripture, it is invoking you to pray Scripture back to God. Psalms is a great way to do this. Each morning after I read the Psalms, I, I try to pick some sort of, of, of topic or idea from that Psalm, and I try to pray that back to God. I try to allow that then to inform my prayer for that day. You see, God is, is speaking to us, and He wants us to speak back to Him, and He doesn't want us to speak back to Him in the way that we want to speak back to Him. We can, we can take His words and hear, and we can have a conversation with Him. And we can do that through the scriptures, and we see examples of that, particularly in the book of Psalms. And so that's a good place for us to do that. And we need to be connected with Christian community. We need, to, we need to actually come to church. This is a way for us to utilize the means of grace. And these are not just things that we do if we have time. These are things that we must make priority for each and every single day. Because remember, we are in a war. We are in a battle. So we we can't be like that soldier who, who goes into battle and, and refuses to use his gun. What happens? He gets killed. 
He gets overrun. He gets taken out. We can't be like that. God has given us the means of grace. He has given us the weapon that we might fight against the flesh. And so we must make sure that we employ that each and every single day. As we do, then our conduct will be honorable amongst the Gentiles. As we do, we will be a witness to those in a hostile world because we will live distinct lives. Next, in order to live distinct lives and be a witness for Christ in a hostile world, we must be subject to human institutions. Look at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Notice Peter, he he continues with this idea of of us doing good. This time it is in relation to these human institutions. And Peter specifically gives this command because those in the community in which he lived, they, they thought that Christians were these revolutionaries that Christians wanted to overthrow the government, that that they were insubordinate people, even though they didn't necessarily take any action against the government. This is how they were thought. This is what what people in that society thought about them. They were trying to buck the system of rule. A lot of times system of rule and things like that were tied to pagan worship. And so they're not worshiping in the way that that these folks and these societies are worshiping. And so they they begin to think that they are against them, that they, they don't want anything to do with them. In order to correct this misunderstanding of those in the community, Peter gives this command here. God gives this command through Peter in his word. And he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Don't revolt against them. Don't create a revolution. It's It's not about that. It's about you being subject to them because these institutions have been put in place by God. They've been put in place by God in order to curb evil. This is what he's talking about here Uh, in the end of verse 14 or the middle of verse 14, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. They've been put in place to curb evil, to to create or to keep chaos from happening in this world. If we didn't have human institutions, if we didn't have government, then there will be chaos that takes place. There weren't laws, there will be chaos that takes place. Everybody would live how they want in their own eyes. This happened in the book of Judges. We're gonna get there soon. We're gonna be reading through that in a scripture reading program. You're gonna notice that when the judge goes away and the cycle kind of comes back around, everybody begins to live how they wanna live. Everybody is doing what they want to do until another judge is installed, another ruler, another person who is set over them to tell them how they might live. And that's the same thing that happened if we don't have human institutions. And so government plays a role. God has actually given government in order to do this. A role that, that, we, that he says that we should respect. Now, of course, there are, there's limits to government. And so I think it's important that we talk about those limits. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They find themselves there at odds with the king. And what happens? They get thrown in the fiery furnace. They would not bow down to the idol that the king had set up. And so he threw them in the fiery furnace. Of course, they get rescued in a miraculous way to show that God is the true God, to show that, that, that we should trust in the Lord. That doesn't always happen. People certainly get rescued today when, when they buck the system of government for, for good reasons. But, but the point that I want you to see here is that when government goes against what God's word says, we don't follow them. At that point, we, we kind of go the other route. 
and we take the punishment that comes. Or some cases it might be warranted uh, in order to, to overthrow the government. I mean, you see this with uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you ever read his biography. He wrestled with this for a while. He was, in, he was in Nazi Germany. And he wrestled with the idea of overthrowing the government. Was this legitimate? Was this real? Sh- should I do this? Is, is this according to God's will, God's word? And he ultimately came down on the side that yes, when government becomes so evil, when they're killing millions and millions and millions of people, yes, you can work to overthrow them. And so there are limits to our submission. And many of us are not going to face the situation that Dietrich Bonhoeffer had to face. There are limits to our submission. But in general, we are to submit to the government that God has placed us under. We are to do that because this is what God's Word tells us that we are to do. And as we do that, we won't give those anything to come against us. And we are actually act as witnesses to God in this hostile world. Now moving along, fourthly, we learn to live distinct lives and be a witness for Christ in a hostile world. We must live as servants of God. So look at verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now in this verse, Peter brings up the idea of Christian freedom. And he tells us that, that we are to live as those who are free. And as Christians, we, we, are, we are free, but we're not free in the way that, that we might think that we are free. Sometimes people use Christian freedom and they can go out and they can live however they want, right? Like, I'm free, I can live how I want to live. But that, that's, not, that's not the idea of Christian freedom. Christian freedom means that we have been freed from sin, we have been freed from the bondage of Satan. We have been transferred from, from Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom. Our heart has been changed. Our heart has been renewed. We've been given a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. Our desires have changed. And so now we are actually free to live according to God's word. We don't have to follow sin for the first time in our life. We don't have to follow Satan. Satan is no longer our master. In the book of Colossians chapter 1, he talks about the idea that, that Jesus has literally transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom. And because we have been transferred into God's kingdom, we can now live for God. And so Christian freedom means that, that we have been freed from the kingdom of Satan. We've been freed from the bondage of sin. We are free from God being our judge and God has now been made our father and we can actually live for God. And he says, look, you are to live as a servant of God. Don't live, don't live as a slave of Satan. Don't live as a, a servant of Satan. That is no longer your master. Your master is now God. Live as a servant of God and do what God wants you to do. Live how he wants you to live. We are to live according to God's word. We are to live according to God's will. And as we live according to God's word, as we live according to God's will, we will act as a witness for God in a hostile world. We will act as a witness for God in a world that's not hostile because we will actually be living out our faith and we will undergird the message of the gospel that we preach and we will, we will show other people that we are different, that we face situations different than they do because we are looking through the lens of scripture. We are looking through the lens of God's word and we are living that worldview out. And that will prove us to be different than them and it will give us an opportunity to speak the gospel into their lives. 
And so we live as servants of God. And lastly, we learn that if we want to live distinct lives and be a witness for Christ in a hostile world, we must honor, we must revere, and we must love others in God. And so in this rapid fire manner, Peter gives us these commands here in verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. The first thing that, that we are to do is, is we are to honor everyone. And honor means that, that, we, that we show respect or, or we hold someone in, in high esteem or high regard. And, and Christians are, are not only to respect those in positions of, of authority. Christians are not only to respect those who can, who can do something for them. Christians are to respect everybody. Every single person Christians are to respect. And this, this really flips the world's idea of honor and respect on its head. The world says, I want to honor those who, who have done something great. I want to honor those who are somebody. I want to honor those who can honor me back. I'll give you honor. You better give it back to me. What does he say here? Honor everyone from those who are the, the poorest to those who are the richest. From those who could never do anything for you to those who could do everything that you could ever imagine for you and make your life super easy. Honor every single person, he tells us. And when we do that, we're going to be distinct. People in this world are not honoring everybody. And they're going to see us honoring people. And we're going to live a distinct life. We're going to be different than them. Along with honoring others, we are to love the brotherhood, meaning that we are self-sacrificially love our brothers and our sisters in Christ, sacrificing our time, sacrificing our resources, sacrificing our energy for them. We are to do that regardless, again, of what they have done for us or what they can do for us. We do it. We love the brotherhood. And along with honoring and loving, we are to fear God. And when the Bible talks about us fearing God, it means that, that we are to have this high respect for God. We are, to, we are to revere God. In other words, we are to respect and honor him as our creator. We are to respect and honor him as the Lord of our life, recognizing his power, recognizing his authority over our lives and over this world. And doing so, again, should, should cause us to, to, to live for God. This is why it's important that we understand that, that God is our creator. This is why it's important that we understand that God is our Lord. You see, there's this notion at times, particularly in the past, and we kind of moved past this a little bit, but, but there is this notion that, that we can, you know, believe that Jesus is our Savior and we're good, but we don't have to make Jesus the Lord of our life. That, that sometime, some way down, down the path, we can make Jesus the Lord of our life. That's not, that's not what Scripture says. Jesus is our Lord and Jesus is our Savior. We are to fear God. We are to live as if he is our creator. We are to live as if he is our king. We are to give him ultimate submission in our lives. We don't submit to anything else but God. We fear God. We honor God. And as we do these things, we're going to live countercultural lives. We're going to live lives that are distinct from the world. People are going to see a difference in us. And people are going to want to know, what's, what's going on in your life? Why are you different? And even if we just go ahead and tell them without them asking, they'll see a difference in our life. And it'll undergird the witness that we are providing. And so if we're going to be a witness for Christ in a hostile world, I mean, we, we can't forget that this world is not our home. We've got to hold things loosely we have to do battle with our fleshly desires on a daily basis, never forgetting that we are in a war. We must live in subjection to authority. 
We must live as, as servants of God, remembering that we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to his kingdom, and for the first time, we can actually live for God. And we must do that. We must honor, revere, and love others and God. Again, we don't do this in our own power. No, we do it in the power of Christ. He is the one who saved us. We do it by meditating on Christ. We do it by thinking on the gospel. We do it by preaching the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis. If we do these things, then we can be sure that that we are living distinct lives. We can be sure that that we are being a witness for God in a hostile world. Uh, And while our countercultural lives at times will result in, in persecution, it will also result in us winning others to Christ and ultimately to the glory of God. And that's what our whole life should be about. Our life should be about us bringing glory to God. And so let's do that. Let's live so as to win others to Christ so that we might glorify God.